Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 375, and I had a conversation with Udo Erasmus. You may know Udo as a best-selling author. He's the co-founder of Udo's Choice, which you see in grocery stores all over the place. He's the guy who invented flaxseed oil. How's that for... <laughs> an invention. Uh, well, we'll talk about all of that on another episode later on. For this one, we get straight into the heart and soul of humanity, and we chat about his take on how to move the needle to kindness, compassion, self-love, and awareness of the energetic force that connects us all. He tells a couple of really great stories, starting all the way back from his time as a child during World War II and some really phenomenal experiences he has had in his life on the planet. Really interesting guy, fascinating conversation. He's going to come back for a part two to talk about the health food aspect of his life, but we got really into the the depth of the spirit on this one. I want to recommend this week uh, reading the book Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And then immediately go and watch the series on Amazon, season one and season two. I just finished season two. I don't get paid to say it. I'm going to say it because I love it and I mean it. It's so freaking good. I absolutely loved it. I'm also, I've been devouring the Cork O'Connor Mysteries by William Kent Kruger. Really enjoying those as well. So if you're looking for some fun reads or fun watch stuff, that's that's what I recommend. Check out Hey Human Podcast for links and to learn more about my guests and the show. Check out SusanRuth.com to learn more about me and my other artistic endeavors. Follow Susan Ruthism and Hey Human Podcast on social media. Find my albums on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, wherever you get your music. And check out my relationships and sex show with sexologist and healthcare practitioner Mara Edelman. It's on YouTube under Are We There Yet? podcast show. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening. Be well, be kind, be love, take care of each other. Let's lift each other up and make every day a little bit better than how we found it, if we can. That's that's what I try to do. It's not easy. I fail a lot, but uh, the effort is is in the try. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into this. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Udo Erasmus, welcome to Hey Human. Hi. Hey Human. Hi. I- hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. The first thing I always ask my guests, where were you born? How were you raised? What, <laughs> okay. what, how, was, how did that shape you? Yeah, I, I was born during the Second World War. So I'm 81 years old. I was born in Poland. It was at that time part of Germany. And my parents had come from Latvia and Estonia. And if you know history or politics, in 1938, Hitler and Stalin made a non-aggression pact. And which said they were going to f- they were not going to fight each other. Of course, they broke the pact a few years later, but they signed the pact. And as part of the pact, Latvia, which is where my parents lived, 
went to the Soviet Union and part of Poland went to Germany. But there was nobody from Latvia or Poland at the meeting. They just took it because they were big, right? So my father loved the Russians as, pe as people, human beings. They have a lot of heart and a lot of, lot of depth of feeling. Hated communism because it took everything away from everybody. And he owned a farm. And farming was a, was a, noble, a noble profession in Europe more than it is here. And so he lost his farm. And he was given a farm in Poland. And the Polish farmer who owned the farm that was given to him became his farmhand. And that was a, a little intense, apparently, until they said, look, we're living in crazy times. Let's just run the farm the way a farm needs to be run. And then they basically ran the farm together. And then they helped us get out when the communists were chasing us. Afterwards, they became good friends. I was born on this so-called stolen farm. And I was a refugee kid when I was two years old. We were on horse-drawn hay wagons on dirt roads with no military presence. Pretty much all women with young children. There were dead people and dead horses in the ditches. And we were fleeing from the communists who were chasing us in tanks and trucks. But the allies, the good guys, they were shooting us at us from planes. They were using refugees as target practice. And it was, I don't remember a lot because I was only two and a half, but I remember not feeling safe, not knowing what I could depend on because every day was a different story. And then my mother had six kids, six years and younger in her, on her horse-drawn hay wagon. And she decided it was winter and she decided it was safer to go through the fields than to stay on the road because they weren't shooting on the fields. They were shooting on the road because that's where the traffic was. But she only had two hands, so she could only two, take two of the six kids with her. And the other four, she left them with a the farmer. And he then tried, took us to uh, Berlin. Um, where, where we had some relatives, but by the time he got there, the relatives had already fled because everybody was getting the hell out of there. And so I ended up in an orphanage with my, one of my sisters for I don't know exactly how long, and eventually her sister found out that she had had to leave a couple of her kids behind. And she then came back and found us and then eventually reunited us with the family. So that was my that was like my first two years were pretty good, although we were in a war and we could hear the noise. But the farm was pretty, you know, it's pretty, farms are pretty relaxed places. But this was like, um, really shaped me because I basically lived like this for the first 30 years of my life. Always just protect, always under protection, not feeling safe. I got, I really got into books because books are safe. You know, you can read about a war, but there are no bullets flying. I already knew about the, the bullets flying. And I, so I was very bookish, loved stories. Stories are just, I mean, you can live, you can travel the world in books and have so many different experiences, secondhand, of course. And, uh, and then when I was six years old, we made it out to, we were in Germany at that point. And I listened to adults argue all the time. I mean, they argued all the time and it was about really trivial stuff.
like to me at six years old it seemed trivial so it must have been like you know it was nothing and i i didn't understand why they would argue about such trivial stuff and and it always made me uneasy this intensity you know it was like more more that right and and one day when i listened to yet another one of these arguments the thought went through my head there must be a way that people can live in harmony and this little cocky voice that came out and said and i'm gonna find out how you know six years old don't know how complicated everything is yeah yeah right you're gonna find out how, how to live in harmony but that became my driver how many years were you in the orphanage uh no it, it probably was more a matter of weeks but still in pretty intense a kid kid at two years old mother's there and then all of a sudden mother's gone and you're in a completely strange place and uh, and the bond like the, the care bond i think got broken to some extent although you know we they did the best they could i mean it was crazy times my parents went through the first world war then the bolshevik revolution right after that then the depression right after that and then the second world war right after that that was their life in europe in the place where they lived and they couldn't get the hell out of there fast enough so when i was 10 we emigrated out of germany to canada it took about six years to get the papers because bureaucracy is slow <laughs> and so we then we got out and my father loved the north country and he came to canada british columbia and then he went north halfway up the up the province about 500 miles straight and he bought himself 112 acres of bushland for 960 dollars and then we built our own house we uh built our own barn we cleared 40 acres by hand and by horse why we didn't have running water we didn't have indoor heating uh our outhouse which we used at 40 below was outside an outhouse not an in-house so we didn't have indoor plumbing or anything like that so it was very rustic very simple and uh, very character building and close to nature because for them for my parents nature was their church you know it's because here's something because they didn't like my father didn't like big religion or big business or big government or big anything big health big so-called healthcare, big disease management he didn't like any of those and he said and and his slogan kind of was i just want to be left alone <laughs> you know because he'd had it up to here in europe for so long right so we we left uh germany in 1952 and he was born in 1907 so he was like 45 by that point so did you then get reunited with the other two siblings yeah yeah we we got we got reunited uh after a few weeks and uh then we lived together in germany uh basically over us uh, above a stable of horses in a little two-room place five five kids at that point five kids and uh the walls would would get a condensation on them so the water was always running down the walls because they were made out of rock out of out of cement basically what was the experience of knowing the nazis were in control of everything did you have a concept of that at such a young age or overhear your parents talking about it no no uh, i had no concept of it at all 
and uh they didn't talk about the war much they didn't talk about because they kind of like thank god we've survived and uh let's let's look at let's look at where the light is basically you know and so they didn't talk about all of that stuff everybody got bamboozled in i mean what happened to him i mean germans are smart people you know they tend to be pretty well educated you might be opinionated but they're pretty smart they're thoughtful their literature is very thoughtful their poetry is very thoughtful and a lot of them just could not believe that they got that they got bamboozled so some of them denied what happened just because they couldn't come to grips with the fact that they themselves got so misled willingly right yeah i mean here we are smart thinking people right and we got completely suckered they had a hard time with that so and they didn't talk about it you know because and it, it probably it's, it's hard to say i mean i you know sometimes people say if you don't study history you're bound to repeat it i think that's complete crap because in fact the, the more you study the stupidity of of humanity the more you it becomes normal for you so what we actually need to not study history is but we need to study what's possible and uh yeah and uh, and and as we go along you'll see where so see where that took me right so then when i when i uh, got older and went to went to get educated because we my parents believed in education went to university started in science because i wanted to understand how things work because when you're insecure but you get you you understand how something works it becomes predictable and that's that's makes you feel a little more secure then i got into biological sciences because i wanted to know how creatures work because you know i live on a planet you live on a planet with nature all around you with trees and things buzzing around and flying around and swimming around and people and you know pollen and you know all, all so many things in nature and i didn't want to get to know nature better as a job i wanted to deepen my appreciation for it and i literally in biology i had religious experiences of awe sometimes when we looked at how things are put together on a molecular level i i was i was in bliss oh my god this is so interesting you know but not not as a job thing <laughs> just interesting for itself then i got into psychology i wanted to know how thinking works you know if if uh finding out how to live in harmony together those are probably all pretty good subjects then i got into medicine i wanted to know what health is because they call it healthcare. and i found out it's just disease management you know it has a place but it ain't healthcare. so i went to the dean and i asked the dean what is health what is health i came here to study health he said we don't know we're working on it I was very disappointed. So I, I, I lasted one year in medicine. I did the anatomy course. It was, again, was awesomely fascinating how a body is put together and you get to look at it from the inside and from the outside and everything. And then I got back into biochemistry and genetics because by that time I'd realized that I'm gonna learn more about health in biology where you study the normal functioning of normal creatures in normal situations than in medicine where they study sick people in abnormal situations and then treat them with abnormal methods that are not natural 
And so, and so then, and, but then there was still something missing. You know, this, like when I turned 17, my heart started to ache and I couldn't shake it. And I didn't know what it was, but it was there all the time. Heartache, you know, just like uncomfortable feeling, empty, loss, you know. I mean, we have lots of names for that feeling because we call that feeling by what triggered it. But the feeling, but what triggers that feeling is not what causes that. And we'll get back, we'll get to that. Um, so, and I couldn't shake it. And so I was always looking, what is it that I'm missing? There's something missing here. That's, you know, and so then I left university because I'd gone through everywhere I thought I could find it. And I sat around in some uh, other classes in social psychology and sociology and a little bit of theology and said, no, I'm not finding what I'm looking for. I'm not finding it here. And I think it's because what I was looking for is not in words. I, I was getting fed things here. That's what you do when you go into a school like, like a university. You're feeding this, but you're not feeding this. Right? It's all theories and all talk and all, all of that, pictures and all of that. But you're still missing. You're just filling your head and your heart's still empty. So I left university. And then I experimented with psychedelics. I'd actually started that uh, before uh, while I was still in university. And I, and I said to somebody, because I was in science and nobody in science was doing anything with psychedelics, but in the arts faculties, there was quite a bit of that going on. Were you doing uh, LSD or mushrooms or which? No, I my first one was LSD. Yeah, and, uh, and it was Sandoz LSD, so it was the real clean stuff. Anyway, I asked this guy, so what is it like to do LSD? And he just looked at me and said, you know, he says, if you haven't tried it, I can't explain it to you. And if you have tried it, I don't need to explain it to you. And when I, and when I uh, had that experience, I thought, what a, what a clean answer he gave me because you cannot explain what that's like. You can talk about what it does to the, to the brain connections. It broadens brain connections, which, which is kind of cool. Uh, but in terms of what is the experience like, either you've experienced it and you know, or you haven't experienced it and you can't know. <laughs> so what happened, what happened to me is I was, uh, I was with two guys and I was lying on the floor, I was rolling on the floor laughing and the tears were running down my cheeks. And they were playing Mozart. I, I, I like classical music. So Mozart, and I was laughing in time with the Mozart music. <laughs> so I was like a laughing. And the thing that made me laugh so hard is that I was really serious and studious. And I realized during that experience, that all the things I was so studiously looking for on the outside are all within me. So I was looking on the outside for what I can only find on the inside. And that struck me as the funniest joke. So, uh, so that was, and, and that sort of blew the door off my, off my war baby personality, because I realized also realized that, oh my God, there's a hundred, there's a thousand ways I could live. And I didn't ever saw that before, because I was just so like, so 
oh my God, there's a thousand ways I could live. And then it took me about 15 years to figure out how I wanted to live. I think that's why they use psychedelics now in treating depression and anxiety disorders. Yeah, what, 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 what the psychedelics do in the brain is they make connection between nerves that are not usually connected. And whenever you're in a, uh, in a, uh, um, in an addiction, an addiction is always that you run a brain track over and over and over and over and over again, and it becomes a well trod track, so that there be a trigger. And you don't see that you have a 1000 choices, you only see that one choice that you're habitually taking, because it becomes so well worn. So what psychedelics do is they open that up. And all of a sudden, you have a 1000 options. And if you're depressed, for instance, or you have PTSD, or you have anxiety or OCD, or you're addicted to sex, or you're addicted to, to a way of thinking, to a religion, to a, to a philosophy, like if you're stuck in a rut, in a thinking rut, psychedelics open that up. And then you see you have more options. And a lot of people, when they're depressed, they don't want to pick the depression option if they see they have other options because depression isn't fun, right? And so anything that can open that up can be helpful to dealing with those, those kinds of addictive brain tracks. Yeah. I, I mean, I personally did a lot of LSD in high school mm -hmm. and I've I cite that as being one of the reasons why I can see and feel that there's hope for the world so much. Well, just in general, just I yeah. see the connections in so many different directions. And yeah. I, I think that that's part of it. It opened yeah. up a part of my mind at such an important age. I'm not yeah. advocating drugs for young people, but for me, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, same, same with me. I think they're, you know, they're powerful. They're best used under supervision. You want the supervision of people who know what drugs do, what drugs, they really, they call them plant spirit medicines. We used to call them drugs in the 60s. And uh, they were, uh, so I was 1964 is when I did that, had that LSD experience. And, uh, and yeah, so it, that, that was part of opening up my world. I complained a lot because, because I was shy and I was nervous and, you know, and people would kind of be like, well, what do you expect? I've, I was born in a bloody war, right? And so I, I kind of had that. But one day I sat on a porch and I wasn't doing anything. No, no, no spirit medicine or anything, just sitting in the sunshine. And it occurred to me that all this time, all this stuff that I'm complaining about. And by this time, I'm like 26 years old. So the war has been over for 24 years. I'm still bitching about it. And it occurred to me that all this time, when I went through the war, and afterwards, when I was bitching about it, and everything, all my dramas and all the traumas that I went through, something inside of me took perfect care of me through all of that. And I realized, oh, my God, I have never said thank you to whatever that is. I didn't really know what it is because I'm, I'm out there and I'm in here, but I'm not in here so much, right? 
oh my god i've never said thank you and gee maybe i should get to know it a little better it's been a bloody good friend and so that again for, you know pointing back into there's something in us just like the on the on the lsd journey right there's something in us that is unconditional love for the for the body and uh maybe maybe we need to take time to sit with that to rediscover it to bring our focus back to the core of our own being where that lives and to get to know it and to get to feel it and when you feel unconditionally loved then it's not about you anymore then there's the only thing left to do if i'm good i'm taken care of if i don't know if i don't feel taken care of i know where to go so i'm i'm good okay where can i help that's all that's left to do in my life where can i help what needs to be done how can i make the biggest splash for good in the in the time that i have right that's uh and and then i've but it goes further than that you know there's a theme it's like yeah it's inside it's inside it's inside and there were it happened many times one of the things i did after i left university i was trying to figure out what it was that was missing and i didn't know where to look because i had looked at all the mainstream stuff so then i said well you know one of the things i haven't looked at and and it's also like who is a good model like i'm young enough to want to have a model you know what do i who do i want to be like right my son's model was arnold arnold schwarzenegger because he he was into body because he loved that you could do certain things and then shape the body in any way you want to do that right so mine was just maybe about for living and so it was because i came out of the war it was like different right so i figured you know the best model that I know in my culture is the model of Christ. And so the question that I asked, it's a very specific question. What did he feel? What did he experience? How did he experience himself that made him memorable so that people are still talking about him 2,000 years later? Nobody remembered my grandfather. I don't even remember his name, right? what was the difference what was it that he experienced that made him live like he did speak like he did do what he did i want to have that experience because that seemed like he seemed he seemed to be a guy who wasn't missing something right he seemed to seem he seemed to be solid so i got the red letter edition where everything jesus says is in red ink and everything else in the in that bible is in black ink because I just wanted to know, I wanted to get as close to what he was about as I could. And then I started putting little things to the test and started thinking about, well, what did he, what does that mean? When he says, what you have done to one of the least of these that you have done to me. What does that mean? You know, well, the only way I can describe it to make sense of it is I am in everyone. Maybe that's what he said. I don't know. So anyway, so I put it to the test and then and then about a year into it this group of Christians came up from California up the coast to Vancouver. 
and they called themselves the Jesus People's Army. And that should have been a warning to me because army is not exactly a, a, a positive word in my dictionary, right? Given my experiences. But I missed the cue. And I thought, in my head, I thought, you know, talk about fantasy, right? I, in my head, I thought, well, these guys must be looking for what I'm looking for. They're trying to figure it out. They're probably doing what I'm doing. They're reading and thinking about it having experiences we're all going to get together and we're all going to share our stories and we're all going to leave that place enriched at the end of the evening so it's like so i say okay i'm gonna go that sounds good it sounds like maybe my 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 tribe <laughs> we, we didn't we i didn't think of it that way but these days you'd say oh yeah look for your find your tribe right so i thought this is kind of like that so they went to had a coffee house. I walked into the coffee house. They had a table, a bunch of tables set up. And I sat down at a table. And the moment I sat down, this guy swooped into the other chair at that table. And that should have been my second warning. But I missed that cue as well. So as soon as he sat down, I looked him in the eyes. And I didn't introduce myself. And I didn't do any preamble. I just looked him in the eyes. And I said, it must be possible to see God and live. Because as kids, we were told, if you see God, you die. You know, it's like, what is this? He's, he's my father. He loves me unconditionally. He makes sure that I wake up when I sleep. You know, he keeps me breathing, keeps my heart beating. He does everything good for me. But if I look at him, he kills me. It's like, ah, there's just something not right about that. And, uh, and so I thought this would be the, the, the beginning of a deep conversation. And I wasn't wasting any time, right? Well, wow, this guy jumped, jumped out of his chair and he's jumping around in the room with his arms flailing around over his head and he screams at me, you're from the devil, you're from the Antichrist, get out. So I go slinking out of there. I'm standing on the sidewalk in the dark. And I say, well, let's see, I haven't seen God. Maybe I'm not supposed to ask this question because how do you know when you don't know, right? And uh, I got really confused and really desperate. And when you become desperate, you tend to become pretty sincere. And I really wanted to know. You know, it just made that question I had, what did he experience? It made that so real for me. And so I decided to spend the weekend in nature, because that's how I used to clear my head when the city got too much for me. So I went to a beach on the West Coast, and there was... The beach was deserted. I was the only person on the beach. Logs all over. Somebody had draped plastic over the logs. So there's my hotel for the, the weekend. Couldn't stand up in it, but you could crawl into it and you could sit in it and you could lie down in it and sleep it. So I went in, went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I woke bolt upright from dead asleep. And there was a being made of light. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But that, be that being was there. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if it was male or female or old or young, but made of light and embodied a message. But no words, no labels, no introduction, no conversation. You know, some people talk to spirits, nothing like that. Just there it was embodying a message. And the message I could put words to. I am come not to judge, but to love. 
That was the message. That was the message that that being embodied. I am come not to judge, but to love. And all of my desperation completely evaporated. And I've never had a question since that night. What was the central message of that master, but also the other, ma the other great masters like Buddha and Krishna and all those guys? I am come not to judge, but to love. And then I started thinking about, well, who was that? You know, and I, I came up with three options. Christ, spirit, or life. And it turns out they're all the same. Because your life is solar energy, right? A fraction of solar energy. The, the sun radiates, hits the earth right it's filtered through 93 million miles of space filtered through the atmosphere and filtered through plants so a fraction of that energy is stored in bonds between atoms to make molecules we eat those molecules as food and in our cells those bonds get broken and the solar energy is released and now we call it life life energy Life energy, solar energy. So you may not know this, but you are a solar energy gadget. So is every human being. So is every plant. So is every animal. So is every micro, pretty much. Right? Same energy animates all living creatures on the planet. This, right? this is the indigenous, the indigenous way. Yeah. So, so the, 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 the tribes that worship the sun were not far off. It's not like, oh, that's weird. No, it's no. We were the weird ones. They actually were, they were actually closer to it than we were. And those who understood, I just finished a book that's incredible called Braiding Sweetgrass. And I've, I've read it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's, to me, that whole book is a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so then, but then the, the, the second part of it is that, um that energy in you is the master because it's omnipresent in your body omnipotent in your body omniscient in your body so it's everywhere present all powerful and all knowing in your body because it even though it weighs nothing it runs everything right and that message of the master to humanity, I am come not to judge, but to love, is also the message of life to your body. See, because even if you're crazy in your head and you're thinking about all kinds of weird things, depressed or, or, or uh, confused or, or dictatorial, autocratic or whatever, you know, all the time, and you do maybe doing really stupid things, but life is moving all the molecules of essential nutrients that you need in the various places in your body. It's moving them to the cells when they call for it. And you don't, you actually, you don't have any conscious control of that. So it runs your show. And then the other thing is that if you bring your awareness, your focus of awareness inside into the space that your body occupies, and you get in touch with that energy, that that energy is called the master.
It's the master within your body, but that's also what the great masters were in touch with, and they talked from and talked to in other people. Oh my God, it's like the whole thing completely fits together, right? And uh, when you look at when you look at you're talking about how you started doing your podcast from from some nasty shootings that happened, right? Well, when you look at all of the things in the world that are not working, they all come from our disconnection from the master that is unconditional love inside of every human being just being out of touch. Now that's a natural process. It's a natural, normal, necessary process. Because when you're in your mother's womb, there's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. Everything's taken care of. And it's pretty safe. So while you're in there, you don't even know there's a mother, you don't even know there's an outside world, you have no words, you have no culture, you have no religion, you're just a little biological creature. And your focus, because it's had nowhere to go, your focus of awareness is at rest inside, in its source, within the space your body occupies, in life and beyond that in awareness. So you're in there for nine months, if you're a ter normal term baby, and you're in deep meditation, because there's nothing to do and nowhere to go. So you're in deep meditation, and then you come out, and now you have to get to know the world because you have to survive, you have to figure out very quickly, is it friend, is it enemy, or is it irrelevant? As soon as something changes, you're attracted to that. That's how people control you by, by moving things around because it attracts your, it for, it attracts your uh, focus outward to the change to, to make an assessment so you can figure out, should I run, should I embrace it, or should I ignore it? And so in the process of getting to know the world, our focus goes out, it goes from being present inside and, and, and absent outside. Now it goes to being present outside and absent inside. And when we disconnect from that focus inside, that's where heartache begins. What I was feeling when I was 17 was the feeling of my disconnection. And, uh, you know, we call it, I mean, we call it loneliness or blues or heartache or grief, sorrow, sadness or emptiness, restlessness or striving, longing or wishing, wanting, hoping, praying. So there's lots of names for it. We name the, the we name that feeling by what triggered it because we're trying with, because, you know, once we're out there, and our heart aches, we're looking to, to get that connected again. That's our driving force. And then we look for it outside and then things on the outside end. And when something that you put your heart into ends, you feel that ache in your heart again. So the tr it's triggered by something on the outside, but the cause is your disconnection from yourself. And so what came out of that is when your heart aches, you don't have to look for heartache, you, you know, you, you get it often enough. But when your heart aches, sit with it. You know, we, we don't like it, we, we like it. It's uncomfortable, it's unpleasant, it's painful sometimes. You know, we might feel like crying, you know, and 
boys don't cry, you know, whatever, you know, when you feel it, it's actually the greatest gift you've been given other than being alive, because it's a call to come home. If there wasn't that call, you'd never find your way home. It's just like hunger for food, thirst for water, heartache for wholeness. So, so sit with it, be gentle with it, don't judge it, just feel it, accept it, embrace it, maybe be grateful for the fact that it's so powerful and gets you out of your head, grounds you, puts you into your feeling, and less than a hair's breadth behind that heartache is your wholeness. So you're coming home, right? Every time your heart aches, you have a chance to come home. You know, we distract ourselves from it. We, we ignore it or deny it or try to explain it away with a bunch of words, or we blame it on other people. But heartache is our own disconnection from ourselves. And anything that, and, and, and we, and, and out of that mis often we have trauma in childhood. That's because we get pulled out into something that's pretty intense. And that's not our fault. And the disconnection is not our fault. But finding our way back is our responsibility. And when we find our way back to that, the world changes goes from what can I do that'll get me taken care of to, okay, where can I help? I'm taken care of where can I help? And, and literally, it changes the way I see the world. From wholeness, peace is everywhere. Because peace is within me, love is within me, inspiration is within me. When I'm feeling that peace, peace is everywhere. Oh my god, there's so much peace. It's always been everywhere. Why am I looking for peace? I'm filled with and surrounded by it. But I only know that when peace in me is looking. And that's why a stillness practice to bring focus inside is so important if we want to change what's going on in the world. If we want a better world, we ha it has to start there because we can't fix what we've broke in the same state we were in when we broke it. We need a, we need a, a better state. And so basically, that's, that's kind of like the journey. And you crawl out of the shelter of the beach, and your path completely changes. Completely changed. Yeah. Then the next thing what happened was this, this I mean, I, I was blown away. It was, I was so blown away. Oh, my God. You know, and it's like, okay, the question's been answered. What did Jesus feel that made him be able to do that? Oh my God, it's within me. Oh my God, I just experienced it in very powerfully and very directly. But then slowly it became an, a memory. And then my question became, man, I want to I wanna live in that experience on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. How do I do that? And that led me to a 14-year-old boy who said, the peace you search for in the world, and peace was big for me because I'm a war baby, right? The peace you search for in the world is within you, and I can reveal you that peace. And then I was 30 by that time, and I said, ah, what's a 14-year-old going to teach me? And I was very skeptical, and then he basically uh, taught a method. And the method is basically just, you want to you create a space, you want to 
minimize your distractions. And you can do that by closing your eyes, by wearing earplugs. You know, there's all different ways of doing that. And then you want to see, I mean, and this is not what he teaches, but this is my, my, ver my version of it. So, so you take time in a, in a safe place every day and you ask yourself, how still, how still can I become? How, how still can I be? And then how deep can I go into that stillness? And then how long can I stay there? And what is there in that stillness? You can see something, you can hear something, you can feel something. You know, what, what is in the stillness, in the space that my body occupies? And then breathe, you can breathe slowly and lightly and just observe what's there. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And the deeper you go, the more you experience. And that is where you make your reconnection to the energy, because that energy that is the master, that is solar energy, that is you, you are actually that energy. You are not the body. You know, if I said to you, hey, Susan, yeah, point to you, Susan, whose body is that? I would say this is who I'm occupying at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but most people would say this is my body. You know, because it depends. If you go really deep, you're you're not so much identified with the body anymore. But most people would say this is my body. But when they say that, they're saying I'm not the body. This is my body. My the body is my property. Well, then who are you as the owner of the body? Oh, life owns the body. Life builds, maintains, repairs the body, lifelong, 24-7, 365, lifelong, right? And you are actually, in your individual essence, you are that life energy, that is solar energy, that is the master. Every 8, eight billion people, that's human nature. But that's not taught in biology, and that's not taught in psychology, and that's not taught in medicine, and that's not, <laughs> and it's not taught in science. Who is the 14-year-old? I'm curious. Well, by now he's 65. <laughs> so he's still going around talking about peace, right? And uh, his name is Prem Rawat. And he showed me method. So, and then he said, you know, I, I thought, oh yeah, that's too simple. I, I thought the method was too simple because, you know, it took a lot to get to the moon, but we hadn't made it to peace yet. So I figured going, getting to peace was more complicated than going to the moon. Turns out not to be true, but that's how I thought. And then he said, well, give it a, give it a fair chance. And I found out that I would get into arguments with my ex, my then lady, right? And I would just eventually, they would go so heated, just like, just like all the thing I complained about in Germany. I was totally into it too, right? And I go outside and sit on a log and do the practice for five or 10 minutes. He suggested an hour. I couldn't sit still that long, you know, five or 10 minutes. And within five or 10 minutes of just doing the practice, I say, we argued about that. That's stupid. And I learned that if I did the practice before the argument started, I wouldn't rise to the bait. And by the time six months were up, I said, oh, shit, this works. This works. So I've been doing it for over 50 years now. And it just gets deeper and deeper. And it's more and more beautiful. And there's something in us that never dies. 
and I, I'm, I'm in touch with it. And that energy is also perfect health. You know, it's also what heals you when you, when you get sick. And a lot of how we make ourselves sick is because we don't feel loved. We don't feel inspired. We don't feel lit up. We don't feel content. And so then we do stupid things. We think stupid things that get in the way of health. And then we do stupid things that get in the way of health. Because if I'm bummed out enough, you know, and it's like, ah, ah, I don't know, you know, eating, ah, eating better. Ah, it's just too much. It's just too much work. Uh, you know, and then I react to stuff and then I do, do stupid behaviors. But when I feel inspired and lit up, I'll just do whatever I need to do to have the longest, most incredible life because it's so incredible. And then making changes in behavior are not that hard. So that's, that's a kind of, uh, that's sort of, that's, that's the complete story, right? And now I, you know, basically what I'm doing for the rest of my life is have these kind of conversations. How important is it for us to be fully present in all of our being and our surroundings? Because we're, we're filled with peace and love and inspiration. We're surrounded by peace and love and inspiration. And if we can get in touch with that in us, then we can see it in the world and we can live into that kind of a world and we'll live into that world very different from when we're angry and see enemies everywhere or we're afraid and we see danger everywhere. So state of being is the most important thing. It's like it's like it's you. State of being is you and state of being determines how you you know how you feel, how you think, what you say, what you do and the outcome of what you're doing. Have you written a book about this? I know you've written several. I've, uh, I've got 10,000 pages of notes. I, I like doing this live best because words go in your head. And what I'm trying to do is talk from the, talk, talk from the heart, talk from feeling the heart. So I don't know if a book will come out of it. Is it, is it worth reading? It's worth reading. I have lots of, lots of, lots of cool insights because when you're in that space, you also, you, you get insights. You know, people ask, well, I'm looking for my purpose. What's my purpose? You know, what am I here for? Well, first of all, get, get in touch with yourself and you'll discover that the purpose is already there. And it has to something to do with shining love into the world. That's the hero's journey. You know, you go through all of your stuff, you come back home, you fight the dragons, you win the battle, you get the treasure. What is the treasure? The treasure is always based on love. And then you bring that treasure back to your community. And that becomes your gift from your journey to your community. What are your thoughts on death? Death? Well, the body is not, the body is not life. The body is a shell. When life, which can never die, because it's formless, when life separates from the body, then the body falls down because the, the power is gone, right? The all-powerful life is gone. That's what we call death. You know, but we say we're alive because we got that backwards. We're actually life in human form. 
and a dog is life in dog form and a tree is is life in tree form and a bug is life in bug form and we are not the form so fundamentally if if i know that i'm life that i am that energy one day the body falls off of it and nothing happens to me because i'm not the body right now the right now life's project is is running my body right when when it's when it's not when it's time to not run the body anymore then life is just freed from that and does what energy does without a body yeah. but it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't do anything it's i mean you people say oh you die and then pff, it's over yeah well the energy that's in you what happens to that energy you can't just like it just doesn't just like vaporize and disappear into nothing that energy is still around and some people say they see it they see it leaving i don't know if that's true or not i've never seen that you know but but that energy is still energy and the awareness you know your body is not aware that awareness also separates from your body so now your body is not aware you can kick it and there's no response right so but we do we do so much of oh yeah what happens when i die you know that's because it's all head trips you know they're all head trips because we don't know because we're not doing the homework the homework is coming home the heartache is is the is the invitation to do our magnificent homework right and when you do the homework death is not a big deal happens happens you know you you're here uh, you know see you didn't live for four four billion years or however long 14 billion years you, you were not alive right you didn't exist and then you get a hundred years and then for however long time is going to go on after that you don't exist again so here you are this is the holiday this is the gift this is the this is this is the this is the magnificent gift if you don't unpack it and you don't get fully present in all of your being you're wasting the gift because nobody else can can enjoy it for you so not doing that homework is selfish you know people sometimes say doing the homework is selfish but actually not doing the homework is selfish and then when you do the homework and you're fully present in all of your being you have insight and you have talents that you didn't even dream you had and you're literally in touch with all of what you what is possible for you and so then you can help in lots of different ways sometimes it's by talking sometimes by running sometimes it's by doing something you know sometimes it's by writing a book maybe i will write that book you know never know right but anything becomes possible because you are so much more than the restricted little skills you've learned in your head from being in a restricted place where your magnificence and your awesomeness and your life were not acknowledged. For me, I believe personally in that our entire lifetime if we're lucky, we learn it early, but or we remember early. But I feel like we are in a state of remembering. If we if if we understand that remembering, that's a really beautiful thing. And I think I believe that our energy of who we are, our true essence, that gets shoved into these shells, keeps coming back to do the remembering in a different right. capacity. 
be in a different shell in a right. different experience for yeah. all i know a different planet yeah. I, I have no idea that's well beyond my pay grade but yeah, yeah. I, I mine, have a, mine too yeah i have a feeling i yeah. believe well as you do in the transmogrification of energy and so for me and it's non-linear and it's very hard once when we are in corpus to really wrap around the ideas but it's a sense more than anything mm -hmm. it's a feeling yeah. that i that i cherish and that i have and that i am forgetful of i remember and mm -hmm. then i'll forget and then i remember yeah that's how yeah. i see it yeah well i have no experience regarding reincarnation but i have some questions about it it goes like this in a lifetime of a hundred years if you drink your three liters of water a day 110 110 tons of water go through your body you're like a little waterfall you know you you, you pour the water in the top and then you drain it out the bottom right or you sweat it out or whatever right but there's 110 tons of water it's about four tons of nutrients there's about 18 tons of oxygen go through your body so that everything in your body is always turning over and the energy that keeps you alive is also a flow of solar energy through your body so which one of those gets reincarnated all of it is in flux all of it is in flow you know which which hundred pounds of water are going to be you know because we're not static we're, we're, we're a flow. Everything in, in our body is a, is a flow in the first place, except for the peace that is the foundation of it. And so, and so, um, so to understand how I come back, is it like a personality or is it an energy or is it water or is it a particular kind of body? And I don't have, I don't have an answer for that, but I, I can't picture it right and so you know for me i i do, i don't i i just know that when i'm present in the in that energy everything's fine whether i come back or not doesn't matter whether you know what happens after i after i leave i i have a pretty good sense of that because i know what that energy is like so I, in, in that sense i'm all, already living in an eternal life i mean this is so interesting to me mm -hmm yeah yeah well you know what that's what we're missing that's every every one of the great masters said put that first do that first you know was it seek first the kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven is within you they said seek first the kingdom of heaven where god lives that's inside of you do that first and everything else will start to fall into place they didn't mm -hmm. say it that way but that's pretty much what they said and what we do and what humanity has always done, we've always done it last. We've always let, done it to last when we run out of distractions, all the things we try in the world. And then finally, eventually, some always like, there's still something, you know, I've done everything and uh, maybe I need to come home. Not only do we do it last, but we also convince other people that they can't get it without us. Hence, religions who say... Yeah, yeah, yeah you can find god but only through my me like yeah. a priest or whatever yeah. it is yeah that's not what the master ever said of course not no <laughs> yeah. i'm saying that's that's what they that's what mankind tries to say and i yeah. argue 
or the the temple of God is within. I believe we are all aspects no, the, of God understanding itself. Yeah, the body, the body is the temple. Yeah, I, I believe and, that. And, and, and God lives in the temple in form of in the form of awareness or in the form of energy, whatever, however you want to define that. And that's yeah. true for every living human being, including everybody who's in jail for whatever they did, and including everybody who runs a country in whatever way they do, and and everybody who's a politician, and everybody who's honest, and everybody who's crooked. But the difference between honest and crooked is there's a tendency that people who are more in touch with their actual nature tend to be more honest because they don't have a whole bunch of other things they want to prove to get more stuff to try and make themselves feel better. And that's where all of our crime comes from is because, you know, it's kind of like a person gets really frustrated, they don't feel they don't feel peace, they don't feel loved, you know, and they get somehow something happens and they get it in their head, if this person was gone, I would be better off or I would be happier. And then they kill somebody. Now they're not doing it consciously, but but that's that's the subconscious conversation they have with themselves. Or the country says, if we take part of Poland, you know, then we then we'll be a better Germany. Or we take we get Latvia, then we'll be a better Soviet Union. You know, so or if we can get the land where all this stuff grows and we can steal it from those guys, and because we're bigger, we can just take it from them and beat them up if they don't want to give it to us. You know, that all comes from discontent. Everything that's wrong in the world comes from our disconnection from ourselves. Yeah, and that's why the cure for every problem on the planet is first, do your homework. And then once you do your homework, then you can actually help create a better world. But if you haven't done your homework, you're just going to live in frustration and you're just going to do more damage. Don't come to me with big solutions, you know, clean up your own shit first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell people how they might find you. Uh, well, I've, I do other stuff too. I'm, I'm best known for uh, being the creator of flaxseed oil. That was my invention, 1986. And uh, I work with uh, oils, uh, something better than flax oil because flax oil is poorly balanced. We could do a whole other show on, on that stuff if you want. Yeah, we'll um, have to do another one, a part two. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. And, uh, and I work with digestion and enzymes and probiotics. Those are the most neglected areas of nutrition and huge benefits. But this is for the physical. You know, right now we're talking energy. That would be the physical one. And uh, that one is at udoschoice.com, U-D-O-S-choice.com, because Udo is my first name, right? And then I have another website that is a total work in progress. And that's at theudo.com. If you go on Google, uh, I do quite a few podcasts. If you go to Udo Erasmus slash podcast or podcast slash Udo Erasmus, you'll find some other podcasts that I've done on these various topics. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on uh, Instagram. I have a, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, so I'm not hard to find. If you go on Google and just punch in Udo, U-D-O, you'll find me on the first page because there are very few Udos on this planet. Udo, I will put all Udo those humanpodcast.com for people also to find them Perfect. quite easy. And Perfect. I would love to have you back to talk about the body. Yep. Wonderful. Thank you so much for right. being here today. And all right. Thank you everybody for listening. 
Bye. Thanks, Thanks Susan. Sir. Thanks. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.